Bonjour, bitches. I'm coming to you live from my bed because I took down the shelving unit that was in my room. Everything that was on those shelves is now on my desk. The room is a mess. I'm waiting for Miss Ikea to open because we're going to do a little bit of a Dermot Bannon kind of a thing in here. Not be an asshole, just, you know, remodel. Um, Welcome to part two of me and Michelle's little chat about tasteful horror films. Art house horror, dare I say. Um, I was recording this the other day and Luke was asking me which films I was talking about. And he was like, oh, there's this one and it's like the best art house horror film and it's like the one to end all art house horror, blah, blah, blah. And then he looked it up and it was Suspiria and guess which one me and Michelle are talking about in this. We discuss in this, we discuss um, A Cure for Wellness, Midsummer, Suspiria and hold on, I need to check my notes because there is one more. And even though I only edited this yesterday, I still can't remember. Ooh. Okay, so in this one, we talk about A Cure for Wellness, Killing of a Sacred Deer, which incredible midsummer and we end on Suspiria because you will notice as me and Michelle are talking about it that this is definitely our favorite one because we were like two little fangirls screaming in my sitting room it is incredible bit of a disclaimer you can hear the dog barking and my mother bringing him outside at the beginning because I can't edit it out like it's it, it happens like at the same time that me and Michelle are talking and I'm not a technology whiz. Um, so without further ado, because um, I know you're all like, shut up, Kira. We want to hear about these movies. See if you're talking shit or if you're actually being honest with us. Well, the time has come for you to lip sync for your life. No, for you to listen to my goddamn podcast. So um, welcome back tune in grab a fucking cup of tea and enjoy so the only film like me and michelle have both watched this and you had to explain it to me a bit better today because i watched this and i was just like no and i think it's just because we had watched better ones Mm -hmm. so we watched a cure for wellness I don't know if any of you have heard of that, but Dane DeHaan is in it. Mia Goth is in it. And I think I had said to you that Kirsten Stewart was in it, but I got it mixed up with another one she's in mm. called Equals with Nicholas Holt or something. Mm-hmm. I don't fucking know. And I love Dane DeHaan, but he's just in bad films. Like he, have you ever seen... Is he the main character? Yeah. Oh. Have you ever seen Chronicle? No. That's fucking weird. Like kind of bad, but fucking weird. Okay, okay. You should watch that. And he's in that one with Cara Delevingne. Where Rihanna's in it and she's a shapeshifter. Oh, I've heard. Like, I know the film, but I actually don't want to think about it. Like, I've heard that they're in the film together, but I yeah, don't know anything. Like, yeah. Exactly that. But this is the only one that we watched that I was a bit like, mm, can't do not. Like, it just, like, the the idea is good, but they just, it's not executed. Yeah, well. and like the ending just isn't, there's no like satisfaction when you finish watching it. You're like, wow. You're just like, yeah, oh, that could have been something else exactly it's the only one that I took notes like in the memos on my phone throughout it because I knew that there'd be unanswered questions like for the others I was so engrossed that I didn't want to take my eyes off it but for a cure for wellness I literally went to my phone and was like who are the British people and what is their fucking purpose yeah why do they do this blah, 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 blah. there's a lot of things that happen that like just just 
doesn't make sense or like just it could have been done better like yeah like could have been done better explained better written better I don't know what it is but it just it definitely wasn't the best one like it starts off Dane DeHaan is like the youngest person at a fucking firm or something and one of their lads sent them a letter saying he was in like a rehabilitation center and he was like in a better place but they had to get him for some business fucking thing I don't even know they needed him to like sign off documents because like there was all this shit going down and he was like basically like the CEO and they needed yes. him to like sign it so they wouldn't get into shit over like basically like doing something illegal yeah because he was after like he was after getting recognition for doing some great thing with some Ryan report or something mm-hmm. but then it transpired that he was doing illegal shit and shit he wasn't supposed to be doing so he had to go and get this lad, Pembroke, the CEO, who was in a rehabilitation centre in Switzerland. In fucking Switzerland. And he meets a couple of people along the way, like the taxi driver who brings him there and this young girl named Hannah who's in it. And just a couple of people, even some of the patients who are at the front door, who were like, because he's like, oh, I'm going to be here for 20 minutes max, I need to get Pembroke and go. But they all tell him that once you arrive here, you never leave. Which sounds ominous, but even I mean from the get-go, it just didn't have that ominous effect. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, yeah. once you go here, you never leave. Ugh. Like, I was like, give me a fucking break. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe I just had a negative outside for the film from the fucking get-go because of that or something. Yeah. But even like what kind of, I don't know, I don't, don't know why it kind of gave me the ick, but even the way Hannah used to walk around like the water, like the fountain and just yeah. sing that song that was like like throughout the film. Yeah. I don't know. I just... It gave me the ick about yeah. that film. is such a good expression to yeah. use. So I was just like, mm. just that, I don't know, just the way, it was just like, stop it. Like, I yeah. don't know, like it could have been just that. There's just some, like it would have been better if that was just playing in the background and not her singing it or something. Exactly. Because she wasn't even a creepy character, really. No, not at all. People singing in films gives me the ick. Mm-hmm. It makes me cringe a lot. Speaking about singing. Speaking about singing in films, we'll get on to The Killing of a Sacred Deer. In a moment, Miss Ellie Goulding got a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I won't go into the care for wellness too much because we don't want to talk about it too much. But basically, they do aqua therapy in this rehabilitation centre. Everything is in fucking water and pools and they're all getting hosed down. And very quickly, Dane Dehan finds out that there's eels in the water and he finds a tiny baby eel in the water he's drinking and someone at the beginning when he gets there tells him the story of this place how it all burned down 200 years ago um and like did the village people burn it down because of what was going on yeah so like basically the baron um wanted a pure bloodline so he owned like the like castle or like the rehabilitation center yeah and he wanted a pure bloodline so he wanted to marry his sister and have a child with his sister um but basically there was a load of different stories that like he, he was learning then the mm. final story is that the baron um found out that his sister was infertile yeah but then i think she ended up no she ended up getting pregnant then. yeah because or, there's one baby that survived and it was like thrown in the river oh because he was doing um weird experiments yeah i think he was like putting the babies inside her of like villagers so he would like take the villagers as experiments and then he was like discarding of the villagers bodies in like a really bad way like so they found the bodies yeah so like, the villagers found out that he was doing all these horrible experiments on like their people and they got the his sister who was pregnant and like burned her alive but before they burned her alive they cut her cut her open and took the baby out of her yeah and they threw the baby in the aquifier 
Is it aquifer? Yes. No, it was the aquifer. As I thought it was aquifer because I was watching it with subtitles. But they said aquifer. Aquifer, yeah. Yeah. And somehow the baby managed to survive. Yeah. Um, That's actually a big bit that I forgot because Hannah is this young girl in it. And we're told by like the head of the fucking place, the main doctor, that she might look like a woman, but she's only a young girl. I forgot that she was in the fucking aquifer and that's how she stayed so young mm-hmm. or stayed looking so young. Yeah. So basically, like, it turns out the, the man that runs the whole rehabilitation centre is the baron. The fucking baron from 200 years ago. From 200 years ago. But basically what they do there is they get humans to come in, they get people to come in and they use the humans' bodies as, like... um like a filter system yeah to basically they filter the eel water through the humans because it's toxic to humans but it's like gives like eels this like like life-changing property like basically makes them like live forever yeah. so when it, that that liquid is like distilled it's put into these little blue vials and mm. the, in the blue vials that's the cure for wellness apparently yeah they all go on about this cure and the cure and Dane DeHaan keeps telling them that the cure is not real and that the doctor is making them sick but by the end we find out that the cure is real and it's what's in these vials and it actually does work because Hannah the girl that Dane DeHaan like meets she, she looks like she's probably like 17 or 18 yeah and um, yeah it turns out that she's actually the baby that was taken out of the the sister's like stomach and mm. thrown into the aqu- aquifer. Yeah. Um. And so like this, like the the distilled cure for wellness or whatever fuck is actually like gives like you for property. Right? Yeah. Like, so it's been yeah. keeping her young for all this time. But when she has her first period, the Baron, who is actually her dad, her fucking dad, um, takes her and marries her and tries to have sex, have uh, non consensual sex with her. Yeah. And um, and then Dane. Was it Dane DeHaan? Dane DeHaan. His name in it is Lockhart. Lockhart, yeah. yeah. And like comes and basically steals Hannah away mm-hmm. and burns down the whole place. Once again. And like the Baron, like this is what I didn't like. The Baron, obviously because he looks youthful, he looks like a middle-aged man. And he's meant to be like over 200 years old. Yeah. He just like rips his skin off and he just looks like this like slimy green face. Yeah. It just It's just a bit tacky. Very tacky. Yeah. The CGI was bad. I don't know whether, because I think it was CGI and not makeup. And it was just a bit shy. Mm-hmm. But then they leave, anyways, um, Hannah and Lockhart leave on their bicycle, mm-hmm. on Hannah's bicycle. And like then the people that work with Lockhart that are at the beginning of the movie that tell him to go get Pembroke, they show up then in the taxi. Yeah, in fucking Switzerland. Yeah. They all three them get and they're like, where are you going? Why aren't you come with us? Where's, Where's Pembroke? Pembroke? Snap. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and he's like, they're like, have we lost your mind? And what does he say? And he goes, actually, I've never felt better. And him and Hannah cycle off. And then it just ends. And it just ends. And for some reason, he has a really evil smile. Mm-hmm. Like, and he lost his teeth earlier on in the movie. Oh, like, the only like properly gross part of the film. Because like the, his teeth are like, they're, the war is toxic. So they're like, their teeth fall out. But then he has all his teeth when he smiles at the end. So I don't know. Yeah, they give him teeth again. Oh. Even though... Because they do the same with Pembroke. Like, Pembroke's teeth are falling out, but then they give him new teeth. Like, I don't know why, because I don't think they give them all new teeth. Yeah. But basically, he, like, the water, even though it's water, it's not hydrating. And that's why all, like, the bodies are so dehydrated and sunken at the end. 
and it's just the same with their teeth like it's not hydrating and it mustn't have calcium or something fucking in it so their teeth are falling out so in one scene Dane DeHaan like realizes that his tooth is loose and he fucking really slowly might I add so it's fucking painstaking takes out one of his teeth and there's like bits of his gum like coming off with it and very shortly after he's at the makeshift dentist and they drill a fucking hole into one of his front teeth to take that one out as well. That gave me serious shivers. Like, oh, I, that was like the worst part of the movie. There, yeah. Like there was actually, to be fair, it wasn't actually that scary. Like it was. No, it bit, wasn't scary at all. Just a bit like, what's happening? Like, yeah. Kind of like what? It wasn't even like, even if it was supposed to be a thriller, it wasn't a regular thriller. No. You would you could have watched it just like chill, like. Yeah, I was kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah, like it wasn't that it wasn't that bad. Like so, if yeah. you're not good with horror movies, maybe start off with this one. True, this will be a good one to start off on. It'll kind of ease you in because, as we said, it's kind of shy. <laughs> on another note, right? We have three more that we're going to talk about, which are so much fucking better. They're incredible. Which one do you want to go with? The Killer of Sacred Deer. Ah! This fucking film. I watched this last night. And it's the only one, I, even though all of them, except for the last one, were so creepy and made me so anxious. None of them had the same effect that this film had on me. I had to sit on the edge of my bed for a few minutes with a blank mind and just take in what I just watched. It's so like, the, the movie has such an offbeat to it. Like it's so, mm. like all the characters, the way they talk, they don't talk in like a friendly way. They all talk really formally. Yeah, they all super monotone. Yeah, like they lack emotion. Like even the family, when they're like all the family members are sitting together at dinner, mm. they just speak really formally to each other. And that's what makes you feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I thought when, at the beginning when they were like Martin and Stephen were speaking really formally to each other, I was like, okay, maybe they're like two people with Asperger's or some mm-hmm. form of autism or something. Yeah. But then we find out that everyone is just speaking really formally like that. Yeah. All of, I feel like all of the characters, except for Bob doesn't really. Bob doesn't really. Kim breaks out of it sometimes. I feel like the only person that didn't really follow it was the wife. She yeah. was like a little bit more emotive. Mm-hmm. How do we even go about explaining this film? Martin just like hangs out with him like randomly like he meets his family and stuff and he buys yeah. him a watch and like you don't really understand like the relationship but basically Martin invites Colin Farrell over to meet his mother and have dinner there and um the mother's like really weird like I think he wants him to be with his mother yeah he wants Colin Farrell's character Stephen to be like a father figure for him because we find out that his father is not present yeah, because Martin's father died. But then um, after um, Colin Farrell goes over for dinner and he kind of like rejects the mother and um, Martin wants to get kind of closer and closer with him. And like Colin Farrell just kind of pushes him away a little bit. He doesn't know what to do. And then Martin basically comes to him and says, you're the one who killed my dad. It wasn't because he was in a car crash. Mm-hmm. It's because you were you were drinking before his heart surgery and you're the reason why he died. Yeah. Which we do find out to be true because after some things transpire, um, Colin Farrell is talking to his wife, who's played by, Nicole, played by Nicole Kidman, and she says, "You know, were you drinking beforehand?" And he's like, "I just had one or two. So we are kind of made to presume that his drinking on the job led to Martin's father's death. Mm-hmm. But Martin comes and meets 
Stephen in the hospital and just begs him to come up to the cafeteria to talk to him for 10 minutes and he says I know you don't have a lot of time and neither do I so I'll make this quick by that morning sorry I've left this out that morning and they have two kids Kim and Bob and Bob can't get out of bed he said his legs are numb he can't move his legs so they bring him to the hospital run loads of tests everything seems fine but Martin comes to meet Stephen in the hospital and he says I don't have a lot of time I know you don't so I'll make this quick all of your family's limbs are going to go numb. That's stage one. Stage two is that they'll reject food. Stage three is that their eyes will bleed. And stage four is that they die. There's only a couple of hours after their eyes start bleeding before they die. You have to choose one of them to die. So you lose a family member like I did, or they'll all die. And he said, he basically, you have to balance it. It's like, yeah. because you killed my dad, because you're the reason why my dad died, you now have to balance it out by choosing one of your family members that has to die. And you're the one who has to choose it, or else they'll all die from this, this three, these three different stages of yeah. like paralysis, you know, hunger, and then I bleed. Yeah. And spoiler alert, we... I think it's probably one of the best attributes of the film as well. We never figure out how Martin does this. I think it's just left for speculation that he is just some entity and he has the power to do this because after it begins to happen to Bob, it begins to happen to Kim. She's in choir and she collapses, just loses the loss of her legs. She's in the same hospital room as Bob. And Martin rings her because they're like an item at this point. She's only 14. Martin is 16. She thinks she's in love with him. And he calls her and says, I'm outside the window. So even though she couldn't move her legs, she was able to get up and walk over to the window to look for him. So we're given the idea that he has the power to put this sickness on them and also take it away. Mm-hmm. somehow he's like even like later on in the movie like he's this like godlike figure nearly because yeah. like um i think it's like him or else the mother is like at his feet being like i'll do anything like the um, mother kisses his feet actually yeah. at one stage yeah and like he's like i'm sorry i, do, I can't do it like it's out of my he's basically saying like i this is the way it has to be like I can't, yeah this is just it like this is the way it works yeah i can't change it it's it's uncomfortable because, right, Kim and Bob, I don't know, somehow telepathically they know Martin's plan and they know what happens or they know what's going to happen. So they know that their father has the choice and he has to choose one of them. And so does the wife. So the three of them at different stages in the film just try to get on his good side and try to like suck up to him. Like he says at the beginning to Bob, oh, I told you to cut your hair. So at one stage, Bob crawls through the house. His legs aren't working to find his scissors in the cupboard and just starts cutting off his hair. And he goes to Stephen in the kitchen the next morning because he's been up all night trying to do this. And he's like, look, dad, I cut my hair, I cut my hair. And the wife just offers herself up for sex. Mm-hmm. Kim just kind of sucks up to him. because She tries to escape at one stage. And then she's like, dad, you are the almighty and you have all the control and all this. It's really weird. It's like someone's putting words in her mouth. But they're all trying to suck up to him because they know that he has the choice. And that's super uncomfortable throughout the film. Yeah. And then he goes to the school that Kim and Bob go to. Yes. And he, he goes to the school to find out which one's the best. Yeah. And he asks, he talks to the principal. He obviously doesn't tell the principal what's going on, but he just goes to see, like, who's the most intelligent. And, like, the principal doesn't give him an answer because there is no answer. Yeah. Because neither of them are, like, are better. Like, mm. And he's trying to figure out which one he needs to kill. Because he's trying to, like... He's asking kind of ambiguous questions like, oh, what is Kim good at? What's Bob good at? And then 
they both have their attributes, but they both have like little skirmishes, but they haven't really given the staff any problems. But then he kind of zones out and he goes, well, if one of them was better than the other, or if you had to choose one, who would you pick? And the principal is really uncomfortable. And he's like, uh, well, I couldn't say. And Colin Farrell is just kind of left sitting there for a second. It's it's weird. Mm-hmm. And then basically it comes down to the point where he has to make a decision, like Colin Farrell, the dad, has to make a decision. And he obviously doesn't want to just choose one of them to kill. Mm. So what he does is he gets them all in a circle, he sits them all down in a circle, puts bags over their heads and like ties their arms behind like the chair. Mm -hmm. And he gets, I think he puts a bag over his head too. He has a beanie on and he puts Mm -hmm. it on over his eyes so he can't see. And then he, he spins around in a circle with his gun and whoever he lands on, he shoots. So he doesn't know. Yeah. And it turns, he, he ends up shooting Bob. He shoots Bob. His, and his, before Bob, he shot twice, but they just hit the wall and they didn't hit any of them. Mm-hmm. Super fucking tense. But one of the first shot is close to Kim. The second shot is really close to his wife. And then the third one hits Bob right in the chest. He's literally like, Bob is the sacred deer. Yeah. He is the sacred deer that is killed. And you then, explained this to me earlier, how he was, you explained to me basically how Bob was the sacred deer and how like he was the only one who so things. basically when I was in first year in college, I like wrote a college essay on like, like the different symbolism in it. And basically in the film, everyone smokes except for Bob, like every, even Kim, she's like 14. Yeah. She literally just got her first period and she's like smoking. And um, but Bob doesn't and it's that, that's like a symbolism for like purity mm-hmm. and like basically it was kind of like it was nearly bound to happen that Bob is the one who's going to die because he's sacred like he and like yeah. and like he's he's like the youngest or whatever so it was like nearly like foreshadowing it in like weird ways like I don't know you, you probably wouldn't pick up on that I just like did that because like I know I noticed yeah. it or whatever yeah. But, um, yeah I don't know, maybe it's just because all of it happened to Bob first, like he lost his legs, or lost the use of his legs, didn't want to eat, and then his eyes start bleeding, and that's why Colin Farrell is like, okay, I have to make a choice. And maybe it's just because logically in our heads, we are like, okay, he's the youngest, he's dying anyway. But I don't know, like that doesn't make it obvious that it's going to be him. And Bob doesn't like take a liking to Martin the way Kim takes a liking to Martin. Yes. Like, so there's this weird scene where like Martin comes over to the house and he goes up to like Kim's room and Kim just like tells him that she's after getting her first period. Yeah, they're all really weirdly um close and literal and just like tell each other everything. Like she tells Martin that she's had her first period and then he shows her like his arm hair. And Bob is like, my dad has three times more hair than you. Like, it's it's yeah. just very odd. And then Kim kind of like fancies Martin then after that. Yeah. So they go on a walk together and they go yeah. over, they go on a walk together and they go over to this tree. And then <laughs> I think Martin like sits down and Kim's like standing there and she just sings Burn by Ellie Golden. And like that scene, she just sings it and it's like really, it's not good singing at no. all. Like, and it's a lot of the song as well. She yeah. sings for maybe 60 seconds yeah I feel like the longest 60 seconds of my life it literally went on forever it was so uncomfortable I was howling laughing so bad it was supposed to be uncomfortable and like it was but I was like this is so ridiculous (laughs) there's so many weird things like even like at the very beginning like when you see like the relationship between the mother and father like they like when they go to have sex 
Um, yes. The mother, like, she just goes general anesthetic. Yeah, she yeah she says general anesthetic, and she lies there as if she's under general general anesthetic, and he just has sex with her like that. Yeah, and it's like really creepy. And then when Martin and Kim are like hanging out in her room at one stage, um, she takes off her dress and lies on the bed and does the same thing. Yes, I forgot about that. So she obviously has like seen her parents do that, and she thinks that's how people have sex. God. and it's it's awkward because like i looked up their ages right martin he's played by barry keown and yes. um, he is 28 now so he was 24 when it was filmed and he plays a 16 year old and kim who was only 14 in the film she was only 15 in real life at the time and she had to like sit there on the bed in her bra and her little knickers and then lie on it oh my god and just knowing what age she was in real life i was like the creepy yeah but the ending's really weird. So after, like, he shoots Bob, mm. they just, like, go on with their life. But they, like, see Martin in, like, the, the same place. So, like, Martin went for, like, chips one time with the doctor, with, like, the dad. Mm. And then, they like, the family are all there, like, eating food one time. And then they see Martin. And they just get up and leave. And then Kim just, like, looks back at Martin. And he looks at her and it ends. Yeah. Kim kind of keeps watching him when they're sitting down. And then they go to leave and she turns around to look at him again. And you're like watching her her face to see like a smile or a smirk or something. Because she still, I think, doesn't really fully hate him. No. It's really, it's weird that like he's in the same restaurant as them. And like, I don't know. It's just weird that everything that's transpired. Like you think like, just like even seeing him, you just want to like, I don't know. I fucking show. Oh my God. I, he, I fucking want to strangle him. I want to burn him in a vat of acid. Literally. Like, you think he would have just got a fucking restraining order? Yeah! <laughs> just move. Yeah. Move away. Simply move away. Yeah. <laughs> but he, like, even the way he, like, brought him under his, like, wing, basically, and then that whole thing when he went and ate spaghetti weirdly and, like, Stop. he came over for dinner. Like, you think Colin Farrell would have known to stay away? <laughs> Literally. Even when he was, like, he's psychologically troubled. He's He always has been. Why are you spending so much time with him? Yeah, it's weird. It's yeah. obviously like out of guilt for killing his dad. And that's kind of confirmation that he killed his dad because yeah, he's so doing all of this through guilt. He's playing true fucking like father figure, yeah. Yeah. But it's just yeah, it's very I just felt so unsettled after watching it. And I think it was uh Bob's death. Because it's this tiny child. Um, okay, but he's not tiny, he's like six or seven, but it's still, he just looked so small. He was bound up with this little black pillowcase over his head and he gets shot in the chest and it just really, really slowly zooms in on him and you can see the blood like trickling down his shirt and onto the sellotape that's like binding him. Even like just so unsettling. Yeah, the fucking music in it because there's barely any music in it. But when there is, it's really loud and intense. And just, what's the word I'm trying to think of? emphasizes the tension mm-hmm. and the fucking weirdness of the scene yeah it's fucking wild it's just very uncomfortable very uncomfortable from the fucking word go like from the get-go yeah incredibly uncomfortable but it's like it's it, weird to say but it's like beautifully uncomfortable. i don't yeah. know if beautiful is the right word but it's like really intriguingly uncomfortable yeah that's the right word like even from the get-go when you just hear like the way they speak and then like the whole general anesthetic thing you're like what's gonna happen you're like yeah what, what is this fucking family like i was the same in kind of the same way um i was like that when i was watching suspiria like this eerie 
calm mm-hmm. came over me. And even though I knew it was like weird and unsettling, I was still really intrigued and like drawn into it. Mm-hmm. I feel like that was like, a, like that was a big thing for like a lot of these films, like even Midsummer. Yeah. Like I felt like that as well. Like it was like, I just really wanted to see how it would end because it just was, it literally so, drew, like, drew me in so much. Yeah. Midsummer was so fucking strange. And even though I think Midsummer is one of the ones that was properly scary because that fucking scene in the bedroom at the beginning, like her family, mm-hmm. oh, that was properly fucking scary. But I was still so drawn in. And I was kind of half watching it like under my bed sheets because I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? But I was still fucking drawn in. Midsummer is like the same way. Like, so Ari Aster directed Hereditary and Midsummer. Mm. I keep saying Midsummer because it's like yeah, same because there's an A and I'm like Midsummer, Midsummer. I don't know, but um, yeah, both of them start off in a different way than they end. Like so, like mm. Hereditary starts off as if it's like a family drama, and then Hered or no, yeah, Hereditary starts off as family drama, and then Midsummer starts off kind of like a re- like a relationship, kind of like basically yeah. about like Danny. Is it Danny? Danny, yeah. Danny and Christian's relationship and like how Danny's um family have died because her sister was suicidal and decided to kill herself and her rest of her family and it's kind of like how she's going through that and she's processing the grief of that. Mm. And like that's how it starts. And then that's why she decides to go on the trip. Yeah. The fucking trip. Trip in every sense of the word. <laughs> I think you'll all agree that was a really nice segue into Midsummer. <laughs> We literally did that and took a break and we were like, wow, that was good. Had a few snacks. Had a few snacks. A few flips. Drank a bit more. A few flips. We got some strawberry cheesecake flips. Mm. They're really nice. And some crispy M&M's. Michelle has pulled me back on crispy M&M's. They're delightful. I underestimated them. They're the top tier m and I still think it's chocolate ones, but crispy ones have moved from my third to my second favourite. Okay. Peanut, I'm sorry. You're at the bottom. I'm okay with that. <laughs> Alas, you told me to watch Midsummer ages ago because you're on top of these A24 films you watch them straight away you just have the good taste in movies you're the person I come to Girl, I come to meet Penny for books and I come to you for films Girl. and it took me so fucking long to watch it and at one stage I started it and stopped and I had to go back to it after a little while mm-hmm. I don't know whether I was tired or whether the scene in the fucking bedroom actually really creeped me out the first scene like is not a true image of the whole movie no not at all it's a lot it's actually a really stark contrast to the rest of the mm-hmm. film because out of all of the films we've watched it's the only one like all of them have I think like the blue tint from the first twilight movie yeah. and they're like really dark midsummer is so bright and colorful mm-hmm. it's literally is, daytime all the time though. yeah mm-hmm. which is fucking insane and i think dare i say when you think of midsummer you think of danny in the big colorful flower regalia yeah literally when i watched midsummer first um pretty sure it was summertime and then i was going around like dublin and like you know in dublin when they have like those like flower arrangements kind of like yeah different parts of like the city center Mm. and then literally because it goes like up like a triangle and it literally looked like the may queen dress yes and i was like whoa i want to get in that (laughs) (laughs) let me wear this for a second this just another i would say if Hereditary is number one, I would have said this was number two, but now that I've watched Mother and Suspiria and Killing with Sacred Deer. It's so hard to rank them. It, it really actually is. fucking is because really they're all is. really good. Yeah. 
like I love like them all in different ways like I love yeah. Midsummer for like literally this I love the aesthetic of Midsummer. it's beautiful I love it and I love the plot of hereditary I love just how fucking weird Killer Sager Deer is yeah and also Suspiria that just changed me so we'll honestly into, you know. I feel like a different woman but we'll get into her, we'll get into her in a moment yeah do you want to explain Midsummer a bit for those who might not have seen it so basically it begins with Danny and Danny finds out that her sister was suicidal and basically killed her parents and herself. And so Danny's left with no family and she's only in a relationship with this guy called Christian. But they're actually not even together that long. Yeah. And he's an <clears throat> asshole. Yeah, he's he's an asshole. And um she basically he's like he decides he's gonna go on this trip over to like is it Sweden? Is it Sweden or Switzerland? I'm I think it's sure. no, I think it's Sweden. I think yeah. yeah, I'm not sure, but it's like in the Scandinavian country, anyways. Yeah, and um, it's for like this summer festival that only happens like every like seventy two years or something like this. Yeah, and um, like her boyfriend Christian and his friends all study like anthropology. Um, Michelle is an anthropology queen. In case you guys didn't know, Androsock. <laughs> <laughs> um, but basically, yeah. So Christian was gonna tell Danny that he's just going um going on this trip and he's gonna break up with her before and then leave. Yeah. But then she finds out before he can tell her. So he kind of pities her and like asks her to come along. He doesn't think that she's gonna say yeah. So mm. she comes along anyways and she's still like struggling like she's still like depressed and like is going through trauma because her fam all her family were killed. Like her sister like killed and like killed herself. So yeah and then they basically began the flight and they go and then when they all get there so it's um, Danny, Christian, the two friends, and then the guy actually from Sweden. And mm. um, they, they go to the place, and then before they actually enter in and like start the festival, they offer them some psychedelic mushrooms. Yeah, and then they take that, and um, Danny starts like tripping and having like a really bad experience because she's still obviously she was going through a lot like mentally because of her family dying. Mm, not the best time to be on drugs. No, and then and Christian kind of like leaves her or whatever. He doesn't really help her and stuff. And he like, doesn't give a fuck about her throughout the film. Like, and then they basically they go in, and the first event, um, that like a part of the festival. The first thing that happens is they go to this cliff edge, and the two oldest members of like the commune. They're both 72 year old, 72 years old, and um, they go up on top of the cliff, and everyone's kind of watching. Mm. And they basically, I don't know if they're singing or anything beforehand. Do they do anything or do they? Do? I think they stay silent. I think they don't say anything, and that's why it's so eerie and weird because mm. they're all silent. And then, like, Danny and Christian and the lads are like, don't know what to expect, and they're waiting for something to happen. Mm -hmm. And then, and then. They just jump from the cliff edge and commit suicide. The yeah. two 72-year-old people. Um, and then the man doesn't die straight away. Like, the old man doesn't die straight away. So he's, like, screaming out in agony. He's, like, literally, like, wailing. Mm -hmm. And then all the commune members start, like, mimicking him and, like, doing the exact same thing back. And then they get a mallet and smash his head open. It's fucking rough. It, it, like, genuinely... 
when they jumped off the cliff, that's the same type of feeling when the baby's neck is snapped in mother. Yeah. And when Millie Shapiro's head is Comes taken off. off in the pole. Like, it's yeah. just like, you're like, what the hell? Like, literally, you don't expect it. Like, it's actually like, because you can hear like a crunch sound. Yes. They all have like a crunch sound. Yes. It's the fucking sound more than anything. Mm-hmm. Even if you weren't fucking watching it. It's disgusting. But like, everyone's like, what the hell? Like, why did that happen? Like, they're all like, literally like, distraught over it they're like why why would they do that like all yeah. the people that came like danny and christian and all um but then they decide to stay mm. um and like all this shit goes down so like one of the guys mark he like basically disgraces one of like the ancient trees or like the- yes this tree is chopped down and mark who's played by what's his name he's in the maze runner it'll come to me he is just an imbecile like really stereotypical like a lad who doesn't give a fuck he pisses on this tree but he doesn't even go behind the hedges or anything just pisses on this tree but then we find out that it's like this really sacred tree like ancestral thing that that is really beloved by all the people here and someone comes over to him screaming telling him this and it's just like oh oh, i didn't know i didn't know and that's where mark is fucked up Mm -hmm. and then um later on someone comes for like one of the other friends i can't remember his name i'm just going to call him jake i don't know sure I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> i actually don't remember what i'm just going to call him jake so basically supposed to remember all these names yeah just a, just a lot of characters exactly so there's like this sacred text and so jake is like he, he's an anthropology student so he wants to write his thesis on this festival so he wants to have like you know different like documents and pictures to put in his t- thesis but mm. this is a sacred text and they're not allowed to take a vote but like they've already been warned and he goes in and he in does anyways, and he goes in the middle of the night when everyone's sleeping and i think then someone that had like killed mark yeah and um, basically was like wearing his like skin comes in wearing mark's face and his skin and hits jake over the head yeah and drags his body away mm-hmm. and then um you later find out that Jake is being used as a blood eagle. Yes. So he's like basically like his what well, his like arms are like put back and like he's like basically dismembered and he looks like he's basically put into like a an eagle position. Yeah. For is like it, the festival. Is it like over crops as well? Yeah. Someone finds him. It's like picture a greenhouse, but it's wooden and there's like crops and there's wooden poles and wires and stuff. And he's basically I can't remember whether he's dismembered or just cut open. Mm-hmm. And his then like his belly and his skin is made to look like wings, just so he looks like an eagle suspended over this thing. Yeah, it's fucked. Like it's fucked up. Very graphic, y'all. Very. Um. Yeah. So then, basically, I think they take more. Did they take? I think they end up taking basically more psychedelic mushrooms or something. Or yeah, Danny, they take more. Yeah, Danny's like convinced or whatever, and then she takes it. So then there is this part of the festival where um all the women like dance around this pole yeah and the last one standing like it goes on for literally hours oh, or fucking like hours. days if, if like whoever's the last one standing after take all like the, the psychedelic mushrooms and um, becomes the may queen mm. so um danny is basically she is the last one standing and she's appointed may queen and then is it after she finds out with christian yeah it's after she becomes may queen so she becomes may queen and while she's doing the dance, um, Christian must have taken some stuff as well. I think it's at the dinner when they take yeah, some stuff. Yeah, they all do. 
and then Christian is like basically lured into like one of like the tents kind of just like the buildings or something yeah and he is basically forced to have sex with this girl called Maya because she's like one of the youngest ones and they want to impregnate her mm. and um when when they're having sex like Maya is like moaning but like the whole commune are doing the same thing again where they're like yeah like they're surrounded by a group of women who are mimicking her moans yeah. and stuff and then um after Danny like wins the May Queen title she like ends up finding Christian having sex with Maya and she's so like confused and distraught that Christian's cheating on her and mm. um, that she starts like having a panic attack and she's like like hyperventilating and the same thing again like the com the people in the commune are like mimicking her they're like <gasps> like yeah. to her face and it's like so intense and like they're like trying to calm her down and I think it kind of works and I think it does and um they basically tell her that to like complete the ceremony to kind of get rid of like the evil from like the commune or, or something like that I don't know and yeah. um, that they need to kill one more per- one more person and Danny can choose who it is yes um, whether it's Christian her her boyfriend well now her ex boyfriend or if it's if she wants it to be a villager yeah so she picks Christian and they take him and they put him into a basically a hollowed out bear yeah a hollowed out bear and they they take him and they put him in one of like the triangular buildings, buildings that yeah. are like placed there and uh, they set it on fire and they, they set it on fire with him. And the bodies of the two lads they came with and a couple of other villagers because there has to be like nine sacrifices or something. They fucking set it on fire. Yeah, there was an English couple that were at the beginning. <gasps> yes. One of them leaves and then one of them, the other one goes to look for them. After And after they, um, she said that she's going to look for them, you hear like a scream. Yeah. So she's obviously murdered for trying to like escape or whatever. Um. So yeah, and then while you can hear like Christian burning alive and he's screaming, the same thing again, the commune people are mimicking his screams. And yeah. that's what's like really weird about the film. Like that's it's so eerie mm-hmm. and so just I don't know. I feel like we're saying the same words over and over again, but I mean we're fucking talking about horror films, mm-hmm. what are we supposed to say? It's so eerie and uncomfortable and like as if the cries of one person aren't enough, like when a group of people is mimicking it and it just feels like it's fucking encasing you for the want of a better word and you can't get away from it. It's terrifying. Very culty, like it literally yeah. is a cult. But it's like not, it's it's nice to watch it because it's like a cult, but like it's like everything's really floral. There's like loads of flowers and fresh food and they wear like flower crowns and yeah. like tapestries and they have like, like everything's painted really nicely and like all this kind of nice like stuff but it's like really sinister yeah like the setting is such a juxtaposition to the actual story Mm -hmm. and the events which I think is really interesting and it just kind of draws you in a bit more or something I don't know and then by the end of it and Danny just like accepts the fact that she's an A-Queen yeah like she's crying and crying and then she just kind of like like after she sees like when she hears like all the people like basically mimicking Christian's like death cry his like yeah. cry then she just kind of she's just like oh and she just accepts the fact that she's making she starts like smiling and then the end yeah incredible shot to end on it's her with the big flower crown and the big flower dress because she's May Queen and she is crying but slowly like starts to smirk and the boom's over incredible it's like she found family in them nearly because all her family died and she only had Christian yes. who treated her like shit and she got rid of him. Mm-hmm. 
So she kind of finally found it and she was the queen. Like, Yeah, and she was at such a vulnerable time that she was, like she had just lost her family. She was super vulnerable, super depressed through the fucking madness of everything that happened. She had this group of people who worshipped her, so she had a family. Mm-hmm. So she just kind of accepts it. I feel like I were like not even doing it justice. Like the whole like you have to actually watch it to even understand like the, oh, fact. the sheer aesthetic of it. Like yeah. so like we're not doing any of these justice, but Midsummer is definitely one to watch to fully take mm-hmm. it all in. Because it doesn't even like you have to like hear it and like kind of even I don't know experience like, yeah it. experience it yeah yeah literally to like because like when you hear when when you're like when we're explaining it, it probably doesn't even sound that scary exactly or not it's not even scary but like it just it just like you have to like it's like you have to like visually it's obviously not really scary because it's colorful and it's gorgeous but it's really sinister and terrifying and you have to see like the way like the the use like the special effects to look as if they're tripping yes because even like when she is like dancing as the may queen and then after she like wins it and she has like this big flower this beautiful flower dress like all like cover she's covered in flowers like it's enormous yeah and like you can even see the kind of flowers kind of like they're getting bigger and smaller and they're kind of dancing and even at one stage her eyes are getting like bigger and smaller yeah it's worth a watch just to see all of that (laughs) i think we have saved other than hereditary i think we've saved the best for last mm-hmm. and we are going to talk about the remake of a 1988 film that was made in 2017 called suspiria michelle once again big fucking surprise michelle got me onto this she told me to watch it ages ago oh i only watched it for this i think of all of the list of films we had to watch for this podcast i watched suspiria first mm-hmm. i was fucking entranced mm. I was sucked in from the get-go as I said earlier this like weird eerie calm came over me because I knew that the, something was obviously going to go wrong I knew that it was going to be weird and that not everything was right or whatever but I was entranced and I couldn't take my fucking eyes off it the way like the, obviously this is not like like okay so basically the way I describe it is so if you ever liked American Horror Story season 3 Coven yeah you will fucking love Suspiria. You will die. You will fucking die for this film. It's like, it's they're not on the same level whatsoever. No. But it's just that same, like, that's the same love I have for it. When I first watched Coven, I was like, this is so fucking cool. Like, I felt, like, connected to it. Or yes! Like, so, so honestly. Like, yeah. But then, like, Suspiria is, like, the really dark, sinister, horrible, like, on fucking steroids version of Coven. Like, yeah. But witches. It's... I love witches. Exactly. There's a bit of a theme going on here, a couple of witchy films. This isn't like fucking broomsticks and black pointy hats, witches. And it's also not like magic wand, witches, and fucking saying spells. It's set in like a contemporary dance studio. Where is it? In Berlin, yes. And Dakota Johnson, you may know her as Miss Christian Grey's lover. I can't even think of her name in fucking Fifty Shades of Grey. Who cares what her name is? That film was awful. Fifty Shades of Grey was fucking awful. We're not going to grace it with any more attention on this podcast. But Dakota Johnson, we love her. I watched, did you watch her Architectural Digest no. interview on YouTube? And they went through her house. I need to watch it. Fucking, her house is so cool. She's so cool. Anyway, we're getting off topic. Dakota Johnson is an American. We first see her as a child. 
in a very dilapidated house. Think Charlie and the Chocolate Factory vibes when all mm. of his four grandparents are in the bed together. Yes. And there's a dying woman in the bed and these three young girls are like tending to her and it's just her wheezing because she can't even speak. She can barely breathe. She's wheezing. And this wheezing goes on even when it goes off of her and it goes to Susie is Dakota Johnson's character going to this contemporary dance studio in America. Even when it goes off of her and it goes to the studio in America, the first, I don't know, maybe seven or eight minutes of the film is just this audio of the wheezing and it makes you feel like your chest is tightening and it makes you feel like you're fucking wheezing yourself. It is strange. I'll say that. It's a strange sensation. But Susie has is the daughter of this woman. And she loves dance. She wants to be a contemporary dancer. And she's heard about this place in Berlin. So she wants to meet Madame Blanc, who is played by the incredible Tilda Swinton. She gets in really easily, even though it's supposed to be like a really highbrow mm-hmm. fucking studio. One of the students is like, there's a, happens to be a space. Yes. Because there's a student called Patricia, and Patricia has a, is like left the, the dance studio, and she's basically, at the beginning as well, she's like talking to like a doctor or like a mm. psychiatrist or something, and basically she's really upset and she's kind of going crazy. She's talking to this elderly man and she's not making sense, walking around his room, like putting down photo frames of pictures of these women. And she's seeing like symbols in some of the books on his shelves and stuff. She's just not making any sense. And she's fearing for Sarah and Olga. And you're like, who are these people? But then we realize these are people in the dance studio. She, Patricia, was the original protagonist for one of the dances. And very quickly, Susie decides to try out for this protagonist role and she gets it. No bother. Tilda Swinton thinks she's incredible. And this is the first really fucking weird part of the film. She is really like, she has a connection to the floor. All the dancers in it have a connection to the floor, but in particular, Susie is like really feeling herself on this floor, riding against the fucking floor doing this dance. And you're entranced. It's really fucking cool because it's contemporary dancers. At the same time, just before she does this dance, Olga, who Patricia had mentioned earlier, one of the other dancers, says she's fucking leaving and she calls them witches. She screams at them that they're witches and she leaves and packs her fucking things, runs out screaming and crying. And she meets someone on the staircase who's laughing at her and she gets really disorientated until she goes down the stairs to this room full of mirrors. And we've seen it before because it's where some of the dancers have practiced and all this. Susie's been there. And as Susie is doing the protagonist dance, which we can presume is upstairs because she's connecting to the floor and this is happening downstairs in this room with Olga. Olga, against her will, is being thrown by some force that we can't see into the mirrors. She's fucking writhing. Her limbs are being twisted behind her. She's bleeding. There's this like black piece of skin bulging from her stomach that I couldn't take my eyes off of. And as Susie's dancing, she, we can hear Olga's bones breaking. She's curling into a ball because something is moving her. It's like the connection between Susie and Olga. So Susie's like pushing around with the dance, the power of the dance. Yeah, because just before Susie started dancing, um, 
Madame Blanc like put her hands on her hands and put her hands on Susie's feet and we can see like this little light or something. So we can presume that Madame Blanc has given her like this power. And when she's finished dancing, Olga is literally in a ball. There's like blood coming from her mouth. And the headmistresses, I presume, the teachers Mm -hmm. at the school come down and stick hooks in her Mm -hmm. and take her away to somewhere that we can't see. That was just a groundbreaking scene. <laughs> Fucking groundbreaking is the only word to describe it. I was shocked that that like that hooked me. That yeah, literally, hooked me. literally, literally, literally hooked. hooked me. Like poor Olga. <laughs> I was. I actually have no words. It was horrible but amazing. Honestly, even, even though it was so horrendous and horrific and we could hear her bones breaking and her like crying out in pain couldn't take my fucking eyes off it incredible so basically then they gather all together after they take olga away with hooks um and all like the tree mothers and like all the kind of like like the the staff yeah the staff and they have a vote who they want to be like the leader like the main mother Mm. of the house um and they vote Mother Marcos to be leader. Mm. Um, and then they decide that Su- Susie is going to be the host. She's going to be the host for Mother Marcos to basically like, come to life. Yeah, basically enter, enter the world, I suppose. Because we yeah. never see Mother Marcos. So we can just presume that she's this entity who needs a host, basically. Mm. And they choose Susie for this host. Yeah, and she wants to like keep like living because like all like the mothers, there's three mothers, there's... What was it? Mother... There's Mother Suspiriorum. Mother Suspiriorum, Mother Ten- Tenenbrow, and Mother Lacrimarum or something. Yeah. And, like, they're really ancient, like... Oh, yeah. Which is, like... Since the beginning of time, they were here before any humans. Mm-hmm. And Mother Marco says she's a child of Mother Suspiriorum, mm-hmm. as far as I can remember. And then, basically, the movie goes on and Susie kind of makes her way up like the ladder and like she becomes um blanks like protege protege um and she like is like the main protagonist she she's main protagonist isn't she yeah and um her and blank like build a bond Mm. and basically the end going to this dinner then and everyone at the dinner table is like in a trance because they're all set in a trance and mm. Blank and Susie are like talking to each other telepathically telepathically yeah. yeah they're basically saying how they're like connected and she's going to help her stop her bad dreams soon oh yes she's like I'm, I you won't have to have dreams tonight I'll stop your dreams and I have to say her dreams are so fuck. her dreams give me very American Horror Story intro vibes yeah with the random symbols and the random literally. images and stuff but they were literally how dreams feel choppy and chasey and yeah like, you don't know what the fuck's happening yeah while all of this is going on there is the elderly man the fucking psychiatrist or whoever who Patricia was talking to he starts to realize through Patricia's diaries because he still has them that there's something fishy going on at this dance place and he tries to go and speak to Sarah who Patricia kept mentioning so he speaks to Sarah Sarah says no absolutely not like they're not witches Patricia must have been unwell or mixed up or something and she leaves so for the protagonist bit that Susie has to dance for that's like the main role in this dance and they invite members of the public to come and see this dance and the psychiatrist 
comes because he wants to know what the fuck the sus is. And Sarah begins to think that something is suspicious because she went venturing downstairs and found like all of these weird artifacts, fucking body parts, sculptures, one of the hooks as well. And she took one of the hooks. As the dance is beginning, she's supposed to be in it, but she's downstairs and she finds the body of Patricia and Olga and some of the other girls because they're bodies I suppose because they look like they're kind of decomposing but they're still alive like shriveled up or something yeah they're really shriveled up so like I suppose their life force is feeding into something it's either the building or the staff themselves who are probably witches or mother Marcos or something and when she's trying to run back upstairs um the staff knows she's down there so they manifest holes and you can see all these holes appearing in the floor and her fucking leg gets stuck in one of the holes. And when she's trying to run away, um, the bone in her shin like snaps out of her skin. And her screams, Mia got screams in that scene, will never leave me. They were incredible. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. I really believe that she had just broken her leg and she was in that much like fucking Like snapped. Like. Fucking, you can hear the snap, but you can see the bone, everything. It's horrendous. But... The staff come down, they collect her, they miraculously fix her disgusting broken bone, fix the skin and bring her back up so she can participate in the dance. They were like, what the fuck, Sarah? You're supposed to be having the protagonist. So she emerges into the room and her eyes are like glassy and or milky and white kind mm-hmm. of. So she's under some kind of trance and the dance is going really well. Susie's doing great. All the people are like, yes. And does Sarah fall and scream in pain again? Yeah, like so the dance has to stop. Yeah, it, they they don't because like the dance is like a spell, and when they complete it, like the spell is like complete. Yeah, so like they're kind of pissed and because she like fucked it up mm. because like they can't like go ahead with like their ritual basically. Yeah, what they've been practicing for. And your man, the psychiatrist, comes down and they're like, "No, remain in your seats." But he comes down to see what's wrong with Sarah. And do they take them at that stage? Because they need a witness. They talk about needing a witness and they decide a little bit earlier in the film that he's going to be the witness. Mm-hmm. I think they take him at that stage. And what happens in between that and the dance in the basement at the end? I think they just practice more, did they? Or I can't remember. Or is there a scene when he goes something about his past or something? Or... Oh yeah, it's him and his house and his wife. Yeah, well, That's how they get him to go. One of the staff pretends to be his wife mm-hmm. and leads him to the place. And they bring, they basically go down into the basement. Yeah. Isn't it? How do they actually end up, up in the basement? Do they? I think we're following Susie. I think they're all down there and we follow Susie because she, for some reason, goes down there. Mm-hmm. Trying to form words and sentences right now. I'm like. There, a lot happens in this movie. A lot happens. Basically, Susie goes down, like they go down into the basement. And Mother Marcos, we finally see Mother Marcos. Is mm. it the first time we see Mother Marcos? Yeah. And she's like this like old, like, like basically like this ball of fucking skin. She looks like a slug or something nearly, like Honestly. with like random like body parts just glued onto her. Yeah. Nearly. And you like, take a closer look and she looks like Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars. Yeah, literally. And as you take a closer look, there's more limbs hanging off of her limbs. Mm-hmm. And um they're basically 
doing like the ritual where she can become like more powerful and she's like because she's like elected she was elected in like the vote mm. but Susie has a different plan oh girl um how does it even play out like so right they're in the basement there's a set of stairs mother marcos is on the left mother um blanc is on the right miss tilda and Susie is standing at the top of the steps i assume they're just preparing her for becoming the host and I think they ask her if she's ready or if she's afraid or something and she says she's not afraid and Mother Marcos like laughs at her and she's like you should be afraid and Susie is in like a black mesh nightgown with nothing underneath underneath she looks like ethereal but she also looks really confident and at peace Mm -hmm. And she asks Mother Marcos who she is. And Mother Marcos says she is of Mother Suspiriorum, one of the original three mothers. And Susie knows that she's lying because Susie goes, I am she. And they all freak the fuck out. Mother Marcos is screaming. But before this, Mother Marcos, like, flings out her arm and almost beheads Tilda Swinton. Mm-hmm. So Tilda is dead. Yeah. Um I and she like she like had cut open um a few of the girls and like their their like insides <gasps> had fallen out or something. Yes. Like that. And like they're Sarah, kind of like begging out yeah. pain, like, to die. Some of the girls that were like in the room that Sarah had found. So Patricia was there, Sarah was there and someone else and they'd cut open their stomachs in the shape of a cross or the shape of a T or something and let their organs fall out. And Susie just says, I am she. It's a big fucking deal. And Mother Marcos is screaming. And then, right, everything goes a little bit blurry and the camera quality kind of changes and it turns red. And we see this creature of the fucking dark lagoon coming out of the floor. This black, like this creature that looks human, like covered in black sludge. Horrific Mm -hmm. coming out the floor. And it comes up right as in the vote before um, the odd pick between Mother Marcos and Mother Blanc. And whoever picked Mother Marcos, this creature made their head explode. Literally made their head explode. And like, Spewed blood. Oh, spewed. It covered the camera and everything. Literally, like, there was blood fucking... It was dramatic as fuck. Like. So dramatic. I loved it. I fucking loved it as well. It, it Visually incredible. Mm-hmm. My mind, dare I say, blown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Do you want to get me Kill Bill vibes? No one, like, she, yes. like, tries to kill everyone, the blood thing everywhere, and they put that thing in black and white because it was too bloody. Yeah. It was that, but like, oh my god, there was blood all over the floor, exploded heads. The girls or the staff who had voted for Blanc were spared because Susie and Blanc had that like close relationship connection, whatever. And the girls, like the other dancers who were there, were like writhing around in the blood, screaming. But before all of that, there was like another dance, like a ritual, and they were all like dancing naked on this pentagram in unison in different patterns and I was fucking transfixed watching that mm-hmm. in like the ropes or was that what was it the ropes was the first dance the one in the basement is where 
do the naked one and that one like the one of the ropes was good but the fucking last one in the basement was incredible it's like that Henry Matisse painting when they're all like all the witches are dancing on the yes and when they're in the two lines and the two lines are like going yes. back and forth and it was just so perfectly choreographed mm-hmm. oh I lads if there's any of them that you watch we've probably said about other ones but watch this one it's incredible if you love witches and just like that kind of cult and like like female lead kind of a thing. Yes, like, there's barely any men in it. Yeah, the only man, man in it is Exemplar. Is that his name? Or Kempler? Kempler. 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 Something but like there's that. two other men as well. Do you remember they come and Susie? Yeah, policemen or something. But like the women kill them. Lol. They freeze them, paralyze them, and make fun of their tiny penises. Oh my god. <laughs> Through the shelves, yes. and you're yeah. like, oh. I love that. Um, but Tilda Swinton actually plays like, yeah, man, you're the fucking right. I googled the cast just to see who was in it, and your man who played the psychiatrist wasn't in it. And I was like, hmm, suspicious because I thought that it looked like prosthetics. I was like, that's someone younger playing an old man, and he wasn't credited. Like, you know, when the cast comes up straight away and you Google something. But the second search that came up was um, Suspiria cast old man or something like that, or old man actor. Mm-hmm. So it was fucking Tilda Swinton, Swinton in prosthetics. She literally plays three of the characters. Yeah, she plays Mother Marcos as well, as Michelle told me earlier. Magic. Her talent, her vision, her mind. The range. Her mm-hmm. fucking range. Because she had come up with like a storyline for your man because he was credited as like Leeds Ebowitz or something at the end credits and she had come up with this story that like they were going to say he died mid-filming and they were going to like dedicate the film to him and all this but they never did and she was kind of half asked in a couple of interviews if she played him but then someone in an interview straight out asked if it was her in prosthetics and she said yes and she was like, I don't know why no one's asked me before. <laughs> what made her want to, like, have the whole plot line? Like, yeah. That's so interesting. Isn't it? I'd love a look inside her mind mm-hmm. for that one. And I want to know as well whether it was her choice or the directors or the producers or whatever. Mm-hmm. That were like, we still want it to be almost completely female. Get up there. Yeah. Into makeup. Play the man. Play the, the main male lead. Do it, Tilda. <laughs> it. Yeah, it basically just ends then with everyone that voted for Blanc basically stayed with Mother Suspiriorum and then they she like basically wipes Kempler's like memory of it yes and she likes she like basically puts him at ease and like tells him what happened to his wife because his wife was like gone missing or something happened to his wife yeah because it was there was something happened during the war and his wife went missing and he never found her for all these years because as we mentioned earlier he was picked as a witness so for some reason he had to be there and he's just lying watching all of this happen so um mother superiorum or susie went back and like wiped his memory and put him at ease and did all that and then at the end there's like a scene or something i can't remember but it doesn't i don't even the know the very end is um we get to see the psychiatrist's house that he has a little bit away from like where he mainly lives for work and he used to live there with Anka his wife and do you remember the little a plus f or something they had written in the wall 
Um, I think it's like a blast from the past that it ends on because it's much brighter and there's lots of people coming in and out of the house and it just slowly zooms in on the little engraving of the A and the F on the wall and then something else. I think like after the credits, there's like a little small scene, I think. I think I'm not or maybe I don't know if it's like a little like a little bit into the credits and there's a tiny scene and then there's more credits but there's something got to do with like Susie and like she does something she like just it, it doesn't actually say anything but it yeah. kind of shows her in like the dance studio and it's like later on and it then just ends but it doesn't really give Ooh. anything towards anything it just kind of shows you like everything went grand for her then yeah girl boss what a fucking <laughs> girl boss Oh my god. I just I don't know what it was. I felt fucking powerful after watching that. Yeah, I actually like I, I felt like I took on like Susie's character. I was like, I she? am mother superior. I'm Literally. I am she. I am she. I felt I like want, a new fucking woman. I wanted to dance the book. I want to learn. So the book. I want to be the protagonist. <laughs> it was incredible. Even the fact that they laughed at the man's tiny penis. That like just I laughed too. Brilliant. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was just like a really just like, all female thing. cast laughing at the only two men in it. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable. Incredible. And especially because we never fucking see that in horror films. Mm-hmm. Some of the women are always the first to die. The classic slush getting killed while she's having sex. Mm-hmm. And like I remember the, the fucking virgin trope makes me sick. Mm-hmm. But I remember when we were doing media in college. Um, there was a guest speaker in and she talked about how in older horror films and even some up until recently, she had loads of examples, but I can't remember them now. Um, the mother was always the root of the problem in horror films. Like in Psycho, it's the mother's fault. In loads of them, it all just comes back to the mother. It's always the mother's mm-hmm. fault. It's always the woman's fault. And there's three mothers in this movie. And they're all unreal. Yeah. I just, I, I felt alive. <laughs> yeah, it's that incredible. Like, yeah, it was empowering. incredible after watching it. Such a powerful movie. Honestly. And like, yeah, fair enough. I was about to say fair enough. The yoke is scary. I didn't think it was that scary. No, it was just, it just more so like shocking. Like it was yeah. the blood and like the like gore. It was very, very gory. gory. But it wasn't like spooky. Yeah. Do you know? Just a little bit eerie. Mm-hmm. But you still really were intrigued and entranced um i haven't seen the original neither have i um, actually okay like 1977 or something mm. um but apparently two movies after that follow the other two mothers fuck like off. the original mothers like the <sighs> ancient mothers i think we'll have to watch we'll do a whole oh my god yes if you were to pick a favourite, if you were to rank, I know we said we couldn't rank them, okay. but if you were to do like, okay, let's let's do a top three. Oh, now after talking with Suspiria and I'm thinking about it, I really want to rank that as one. Same. <laughs> like it really is just, I don't know, it's magical. <laughs> yeah, honestly, magical. That's what it is like. Um, And then I probably, probably hereditary. Yeah. I think so too, um, just for the way it made me feel the first time I watched it. Yeah, and then I'd say Midsummer. Interesting. I think I put Killing of a Sacred Deer at number three. Yeah. Just because I was fucking transfixed watching it. Mm-hmm. And it really did have an effect on me. Yeah. It was it so intense. Like, I went into Dad after I watched it and I was like, oh, have you ever seen The Killing of a Sacred Deer? 
And a lot of the times when I mention a film to him, even though he's a bit of a movie buff and he loves them, he'd it'd take him a minute and I'd have to explain it a bit. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah. Straight away, he was like, nope, don't want to watch it either. He knew about it. He knew about it, yeah. He was like, nope, bit intense, isn't it? I don't really want to watch it. Fuck. And like he would never really have that reaction because he'd be big into watching different shit and he just loves films. So I was like, interesting. interesting. <laughs> so Dears be Suspiria, Hereditary, and then Killing of a Sacred Year. I think so. See, I love Midsummer because I just love how it looks. I really yeah. do. I really do. And I, I just I just think it's like beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is. It's stunning. Mm-hmm. I just love how A24 are able to take films that can be put in the horror gene and have them receive this and just given this unbelievable reception because you know when like insidious or sinister or whatever come into cinema and you're like oh another horror film i feel like midsummer and hereditary just fit a broader spectrum and it reaches more people Mm -hmm. and more people watch them and i don't know yeah and you kind of like they're not tacky and like they're not well tacky. Done. That's the fucking thing. And it's like they're not predictable either. Yes. Because like Midsummer, Midsummer is literally I've never I don't have much any other movie like it. Yeah. And Same. then I know Hereditary. Yeah, you've watched movies about kind of cults and like demons and like and possessions, possessions and, and all that. But it's just really well. It's just like, so well executed. Yeah, and so much shock value without like you said having jump scares. Yes. Oh, I just. Guys, I think we've created a fantastic list for you all. Mm-hmm. We've compiled some fantastic. And fair enough, if you haven't seen them all, you know what they're about now. But still, fucking go back and watch yeah, them. Yeah, 100%. Because even the way we describe them, like... We haven't done them justice. Yeah, like, we haven't. Like, you, even, even though you know stuff that happens, you're still going to be like, holy shit, when you watch them. Yeah. I hope this, like, drags people in and makes them want to watch mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. because they're so worth it they are. except maybe Cure for Wellness that's fucking way down the bottom yeah, I don't know what I have against that film oh, it just made me angry I was like fuck you it's just not there's not as much like I don't talk point or something I don't know yeah. either like just like not as well executed like. yeah <laughs> <laughs> we ended it alright so it yeah um, I'll record a little ending separately if you want and be like that was Michelle <laughs> <laughs> And so our little series is finished, our two episode series. I was really sad when I was editing this yesterday because I was having so much fun and that was all we had. So Miss Michelle will definitely be back on this podcast. If not to talk about more films, just talk about something else. Because having um, a guest on was so fun. And even just the topics that we were talking about, like even the fucking films and everything, it was just so fun. Um, and I think I will miss that. And now this week, having to go back to just thinking of concepts myself, dear God, um, we'll see how that fucking turns out. It's scary. It's a scary thought. No, it's not. I love talking shit to myself, to the wall, literally talking to the wall in my room. Um, I hope you really enjoyed that as much as we did. Like we had a fab time. I had a fab time editing it. For those of you who like horror films, I hope you really enjoyed it. And for those of you who don't, I hope like you feel a little bit fulfilled now knowing the plot of some of these without actually having to watch them. Even though, have to say, none of them are like super actually scary. They're just very like anxiety inducing, put you on edge. Some of them are a bit more like a thriller and just like art house horror, as I said before. Um, But they're fucking 
unbelievable movies. Like Suspiria, I think it's one of the best films I have ever watched in my life. I haven't seen the original one and neither had Michelle, but that recent one with Tilda Swinton, Tilda Swinton, excuse me, and Dakota Johnson is in, it's just incredible. Same with Midsummer, Unbelievable. And like, I know you've all seen the memes. So maybe, you know, take a step further and actually watch the damn thing. Um, A Cure for Wellness, definitely not the best, but I mean, it was fine. And as we said, it might be a good, like, dipping the toe in for people who aren't good with horror films just to like get a little taster and then you can laugh and be like ha 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 that's actually really bad and then suddenly it's not scary anymore but the killing of a sacred deer incredible and we have a little bit of an irish cast in there i love that for us love that representation but yeah i hope you really enjoyed um i hope we did the films justice if you have seen them and yeah I will be back hopefully in a week's time. I'm going to try break it back into like a weekly thing rather than procrastinating like a little bitch and not doing anything. So hopefully I'll see you this time next week. If not, I'll see you whenever I feel like posting again. Hopefully not in the very, very distant future. I hope you enjoyed. I'll see you soon. Goodbye.